A turquoise ocean lapping golden sandy beaches, beautiful palm trees. The Dominican Republic likes to market itself as a luxury holiday destination. Clicking onto the Ministry of Tourism website, and you can read that it is a diverse Caribbean country, just two hours south of Miami, less than four hours from New York, and only eight hours from major European cities. Its pages are awash with high-definition pictures of outstanding beauty. We are known for our warm and hospitable people, the official site continues. The Dominican Republic is a destination like no other. But away from the gloss, there is another, very different story. The warmth and hospitality doesn't seem to be extended to everyone. This time in the Paperless People podcast, we travel to the Dominican Republic and hear about its hidden side. It's a story of racism, of exclusion and discrimination, and about an event so devastating that took place in 2013 that it became known as civil genocide. This is Yamala. She's 20 and lives in the village of Bayawana. Her parents are both from Haiti, and although she was born in the Dominican Republic, she has never had official papers. She currently does domestic work in a house on the outskirts of the capital, Santo Domingo. Yamilev has been able to complete basic schooling, but now the lack of papers means her path is blocked. To gain the certificates to graduate at 18, she needs papers. She dreams of becoming a nurse, but the prospect of this happening without papers is at zero. Things started off okay for her. In primary school, all was normal, but when I reached 8th grade, things got complicated because they began to ask for my papers in order to take national exams. My mother started to work on getting my birth certificate, but could not because she has no papers here in the Dominican Republic. She did not manage it. Even once, she paid 5,000 pesos to see if she could speed up my process because I was one of the most advanced students at school, but the people kept the money and did not help. Yamalev's problem is that her parents are Haitian, and even though she was born in the DR, they were never able to register her birth. This might sound crazy, but widespread discrimination often means Haitian parents are stopped from registering their children. And for Yamalev, this is crushing. She talks about her dreams. My first dream was to be a lawyer, but then I realized that I did not want that because sometimes they tell a lot of lies. For that reason, I changed to study physical education and nursing, she says. But the reality is very different. To be without papers is very difficult for me. Too difficult. The worst is not to have the opportunity to do what you want. Very difficult. Sometimes you want to reach something, finish your career. But for any course, to go to university, papers are needed. I did some courses, but could not finish them for lack of an ID. It was always half-baked. The nursing course I had to leave halfway through. I think the most important point here is that it's clear uh, that um, what happened was denial at the point of birth registry. This might mean that her parents were frustrated because they tried at that point, or it might mean that they were simply dissuaded from ever uh, trying to register. 
her as a Dominican national, uh, recognizing that the situation was complicated and uh, often subject to arbitrary decisions by civil registry officials. This is Bridget Wooding, a human rights activist and campaigner for minority rights in the Dominican Republic. She says Yamalif's case is typical. She says it shows that despite the fact that parents of foreign ancestry had the right to register their kids, this was systematically denied in practice. And this leaves Yamalef in legal limbo. No birth registry, means no papers, or at best the chance at papers which show that she's a foreigner, which she's clearly not. Now there's a point here that I just want to explain, that in the Dominican Republic, anyone born in the territory, or at least until 2010, is a Dominican citizen under the constitution of that time. It's very important, this point, because this issue now is an issue of citizen deprivation. Anyone else from any other country who went to the DR and have a child there, their child would automatically be a Dominican citizen. But this is not the case for those Dominicans of Haitian descent. When I took documents to the registry offices, they made things very difficult for me. They said they would give me a Haitian ID, or an ID with which you cannot vote. How can they give me a Haitian ID if I was born here, and don't know anybody there, and have never been there? They made it all very difficult, with a paper chase. I had to make copies in Santo Domingo, even more in Bayawana, very difficult. We'll get into this foreigner's registration. It's called a foreigner's book, later in the podcast. But firstly, why all this distrust of Dominicans of Haitian descent in the DR? Here's Bridget again. Yeah, there um, is a lot of discrimination that they face. Um, while there is a general uh, anti-black feeling and Dominicans tend to define themselves as to what they're not. This may sound odd, but even though the skin tone between Dominicans and Haitians may be hard to differentiate for anyone else, this is still part of the way the discrimination takes form. But the main problem is that um, Haitians are often instrumentalized. It's, um, as in many cultures, it's convenient to use the migrant, the other, um, as um, a scapegoat. Uh, rather than addressing, you know, problems, other uh, problems which uh, the country may be addressing, such as addressing um, corruption, uh, addressing poverty, addressing inequalities, it's it's a, a lot more convenient to use, um, you know, Haitians as that. And at the heart of the distrust is a troubled history of the two neighbouring countries. There is a common history. Uh, there was a time when um, Haiti held sway over the whole island between 1822 and 1844. Um, and then there was um, a very difficult period in 1937 when Haitians had just come across to cut sugar cane and there were thousands of, um, of Haitians who were massacred on the border. So there is a special history which means that Haitians and Dominicans are often pitted um, in antagonism even though that's not necessarily the case for many day-to-day interactions. And add in the factor that Haiti is much poorer than the Dominican Republic, and the factors are in place for Dominicans of Haitian descent to be seen as outsiders, to be seen as a threat. So what you will often have is um, headlines in the newspapers 
uh, indicating that you know Haitian women or Haitian descended women um, are using all our are using all the space in our clinics, you know, or Haitian you know men are taking all our jobs, you know, when the fact of the matter is that um, it's normal um, given the percentage of Haitians and Dominican Haitians in the country that women would use health facilities. Um, and it's normal since there's the double... And this is what um, plays into the whole issue of who belongs and who doesn't. Opportunist politicians play this card too every time there are elections, whipping up hysteria and blaming immigrants for the country's problems. This all creates a climate of discrimination and distrust for Dominicans born of Haitian descent, making their day-to-day lives a constant battle for recognition. Yes, yeah, so one of the, the, the perhaps the most... Um, difficult uh, uh, discrimination faced uh, by migrants here, particularly Haitian migrants and particularly descendants born here who may not have access to their papers, is the threat of deportation. And so what happens is people are rounded up, summarily asked for their documentation, which may or may not be um, inspected, And then they're taken on buses to Haiti. So official figures tell us that last year there were 57,000 Haitians with irregular status who were uh, deported to Haiti. This is Isidro. He's 30, and he too is a Dominican of Haitian descent, who has been fighting for most of his life to get documents. For him, too, things were okay until reaching the age of 18. Then, I turned 18 years old, which is the age of maturity, and of course, the time to get an ID. So I began the process, and when I returned to the registry office, I was told that they could not give me an ID, because my parents are foreigners, Haitians. At that time, I did not understand anything, he says. Going several times to the registry office, they said that they could not give me my documents, because they had orders from above, and repeated that my parents are foreigners. They said my documents were temporarily suspended, And that is when I got frustrated, because although they explained, I did not follow because I was born here. I had a birth certificate, unregistered, so I did not understand why they could not give me my copy of my birth certificate and have my ID to continue my studies. He was left in a complete limbo for two years. Like Yamalef, his dreams of a better future are being thwarted. He is in a very precarious position. Isidro realizes that there are many others of Dominican Haitian descent who are in the same frustrating situation, and he begins to advocate. He forms a campaign group, and finally, in 2014, he gets his ID. But whilst Isidro is fighting for his own documents, something momentous takes place. On September 23rd, the Dominican Republic issued a controversial ruling to strip tens of thousands of Dominicans of Haitian descent of their citizenship. As we are hearing already, there's increased violence against the Haitian community in the Dominican Republic. And uh, this is no surprise. I mean, this is only compounding an already existing situation. Only since this new situation has arisen with that new This is the event that we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the moment when the discrimination, the distrust, and the fear of the outsider 
became enshrined in law. In 2013, the Constitutional Court admitted a sentence prejudicial to Dominicans of Haitian ancestry born between 1929 and 2010. According to various estimates, the court decision made at least 100,000 people stateless overnight. It was a devastating blow. There were even moments when you contemplated suicide. The court ruling retroactively denies Dominican nationality to anyone born after 1929 who was registered but whose parents were not residing legally in the Dominican Republic. You can imagine the consequences. It also redimensions a ruling on birthright citizenship, which was delivered only in the new 2010 Dominican Constitution. Also affected are those who had never registered, but who had the right to be registered as Dominicans under the Constitution when they were born. This, this became known as the civil genocide. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The Dominican Republic's decision to denationalize hundreds of thousands of people has sparked an international outcry. Haitian President Michel Martelly has denounced it as civil genocide. Uh, the United Nations protested the ruling and the U.S. State Department voiced measured disapproval. Meanwhile, Dominican-American writers Juno Diaz and Julia Alvarez, Haitian-American writer Edwidge Danticat and American writer Mark Korlansky have united to express their shared condemnation of the decision. They wrote in the New York Times, quote, one of the important lessons of the Holocaust is that the first step to genocide is to strip a people of their right to citizenship. For more, we are joined by Edwidge Danticat right here in New York. The decision sparks local and international outrage. It overlooks the 2010 Constitution, a constitution which had affirmed that those already in the country and registered as Dominicans were citizens, with all the rights to all the necessary documents they could lead their lives as citizens. Now over 100,000 citizens who had lived their entire lives at the Dominican Republic, families who'd been there for generations, were being told that they were foreigners and that they no longer belonged. The Dominican state paralyzed the life of Dominicans of Haitian ancestry with this situation. Specifically, my life was paralyzed for seven years, my youth, and they have not brought in a social policy to compensate this affront. What has been introduced in practice is a dual system, the so-called Foreigner's Book. Those who are not seen as Dominicans can register there, but in a separate system. The birth registration documents in the system are even pink, so that they are visually distinct from Dominican Republic birth certificates. The dual system is supposed to give the potential to move towards full citizenship, but in reality, it actually goes nowhere. Basically, what the migration law did for the first time was it introduced these so-called pink registers. And this is where foreign women um, who were not residing legally in the country were supposed to take these documents and put them in a foreigner's book with eventually the possibility of getting papers through relevant consulates. In practice, these foreigners 
book has really not proved to be very successful. The pink papers never seem to uh, end up there, or if they do, seem to lie there in some kind of inter- uh, uh, eternal limbo. It is difficult to say how many stateless people there are exactly today in the DR. There are no official statistics. But the figures are still around 100,000 level following the 2013 court ruling. This includes children at risk of statelessness, who have been born since the court ruling and whose parents have not managed to regain their Dominican documents. For Isidro, the situation remains precarious. He has actually been able to prove his status, but because a new birth certificate was issued, he is now facing renewed scrutiny and is worried that the status of his new documents is not as strong as the original ones. Like so many others, he remains fearful of what the future will bring. We do not know in the future, in five or twenty years' time, maybe another government could eliminate the transcribed birth certificates. What would happen to Dominicans of Haitian descent, who would be in legal limbo, who would be stateless, And the new two-tier system is enshrining the discrimination and continues to deny those Dominicans of Haitian descent their full citizenship rights. What does the situation in the Dominican Republic tell us about legal identity under the SDGs? Our focus in this podcast series, as we laid out in the first two podcasts, is the Sustainable Development Goal 16.9, which aims to ensure everyone in the world can prove legal identity. The main indicator, so the current focus to achieve the goal, relates to ensuring birth registration for children under five. In a country like the DR, which is maintaining a two-tier system of registration, this is problematic. If everyone is registered, then the goal is achieved. But of course, the spirit of the goal certainly isn't. In this two-tier system, those registered in the foreigners' books simply see themselves officially excluded. Their status as outsiders is cast in concrete and discrimination and exclusion carry on as before. So 16.9, registering everyone under 5, may be achieved, but nothing has changed. And this means that the overall target of the Sustainable Development Goals to leave no one behind is missed as minorities continue to be excluded from higher education, healthcare, formal employment and citizenship. In the short term, it's hard to see things changing for the Amalefs and Isidros who find themselves up against a discriminatory system which overshadows everything they do. Does Bridget see any potential solutions? What needs to be channeled, uh, challenged is structural discrimination so that um, authorities are not enabled to implement legislation in ways which discriminate against one particular ethnic minority. And for that to happen, uh, there needs to be training at all levels, there needs to be new legislation uh, which will go against that discrimination, um, so that these issues can be uh, resolved more sustainably, you know, and less in, uh, in a way which appears to be ad hoc. The situation remains troubled in the Dominican Republic. Rights organisations continue to push for change. For Isidro and Yamalef and the tens of thousands of others whose dreams are being thwarted, change can't come soon enough.
You've been listening to the Paperless People podcast, brought to you by the Institute on Statelessness and Inclusion. Huge thanks go to Bridget Wooding from the Obmika Human Rights Organization and her colleague, Mihaela Peralta, who recorded the interviews for this episode. We have two other country stories in this podcast series, one from Assam in India and one from Serbia. And in the first two podcasts, we talk about what statelessness is and about the current dilemmas when it comes to trying to tackle statelessness. The podcasts are all in the usual podcast places, so subscribe and get them all straight to your device. You can also listen via our website, www.institutesi.org. We also want to stimulate debate with the podcasts, so we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch via the website or via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at institute underscore SI. Music in the podcast is from Poddington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. There's a link in the show notes. From me, Zahar Barazi. Thanks for listening.